Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session number six. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of freelance recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast, which is now officially sponsored by our friends over at Gear Sluts. Thank you, Jules. So make sure you step on over to gearsluts.com and check out our friends there, the community there, ask questions, buy stuff, check out the new stuff. So, hey, here we are fresh off of Thanksgiving for those of us in the United States that celebrate Thanksgiving. Hope you all that celebrate Thanksgiving had a had a great time. I just got back from traveling. Kids are in the other room playing video games and being very loud, of course. So they'll be a part of the show today. I'm still thinking about John Cunaberti's interview. That was really cool and um, a lot of good information. And I I got to say I really appreciate those of you that were tweeting and mentioning uh, working class audio at um, we're of course on Twitter we're at work class audio. But I, what I was going to say was I appreciate you guys who are sending me messages or mentioning Working Class Audio in your tweets. Um, so some of you saying some very nice things uh, about that po- that podcast in particular. And uh, it's, it's nice to know that other people are actually listening to what I'm doing here. I'm not just sitting in this room talking to myself. So thanks for that. And thanks for those of you who are emailing. If you have any questions or you have any requests, uh, of course, Matt at Working Class Audio, M-A-T-T at WorkingClassAudio.com. Send me a message. What else is going on? Ah, oh, I tell you, I just, I'm fresh off an airplane and I'm just kind of like a little bit spacey. But, uh, oh, I tell you what's interesting. Uh, well, it was interesting to me and it, of course, has nothing to do with our podcast, but I'm going to mention it anyway. How many of you saw the Star Wars preview? That was pretty cool. Of course, if you were... Uh, a young chap in 1977 and you saw the original Star Wars and that was a part of your life growing up, then if you're, of course, in your 40s now or whatever, a little older and you're into Star Wars, of course, that preview that they showed was pretty mind-blowing. Looking forward to that. So we'll see We'll see if J.J. Abrams does that justice. 20 million views, of course, on uh, YouTube and it's only been out like two or three days now, that, that particular preview. And couple different spoofs. There's a Lego spoof, of course, on it already. That's it. Welcome back. Let's get to it. Um, so on today's show, Robert Smith. Rob, no, not from The Cure, Robert Smith. Robert L. Smith, who is a New York freelance engineer. He's worked with a ton of people. He's he's an Oscar-winning engineer. Uh, he's been uh, nominated for a Grammy and an Emmy. Producer, engineer, mixer, um, mastering engineer as well. And man, the guy's um, discography is pretty crazy, I got to say. I, if you go to DeFi Recordings, D-E-F-Y recording, Recordings.com, so D-E-F-Y Recordings.com, the guy has worked with, I'm just going to name who I'm seeing here on the website, Aerosmith, Lady Gaga, David Bowie, U2, Lenny Kravitz, Cindy Lauper, Michael Jackson, he did the new uh, Ting Ting's record. That's a, a British uh, boyfriend-girlfriend duo or husband-wife duo that I'm, I'm really into. I think they're cool. Sting, Jonas Brothers, John Bon Jovi, Keith Richards, uh, Pat Metheny, Joan Jett. Oh, my gosh, this guy's list goes on and on. David Byrne, 
Neil Young. There's quite a quite a lot of people on here. So yeah, Robert Smith. This guy really, this interview is really cool, and I'm excited to bring it to you. And uh, let's get right to it. I'll stop talking, of course, and we'll we'll catch up afterwards. Robert Smith, here we go. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, got you. This is our second trip back to the New York area because obviously we had Hillary Johnson on. Do you know Hillary? Uh, no, not person. We have a ton of mutual friends, but uh, never actually met her in person. I don't know if you got the vibe of of the first few, but you know the concept here is not necessarily to delve uh, excessively into equipment or mm-hmm. necessarily artists. Although we will talk about that, the idea is, of course, to to have it be a roundabout view, including the business aspect, which I feel is something that is always neglected. Oh, dude, you're you're speaking my language. I mean, as you know, I mean, I I don't really talk about any gear or any, you know, be, from what you're focusing on. That's exactly what I chat about all the time. So because uh, they don't write about that in magazines, really. They always seem to talk about the successes. Yeah. You know, it's like the real world. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is what it's like to make a living doing this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so how, how long have you been an engineer and do you play an instrument? I moved to New York City in mid-1986. Pretty much start like I went to uh, the Institute of Audio Research in Greenwich Village and uh, got a job before I left school. So pretty much like 87 on, I've been doing this. I did play bass or as I like to refer to it, more like I owned a bass. I was pretty terrible. So gave that up. That was very easy to give up <laughs> once I <laughs> once I realized where where I preferred to be in the control room. <laughs> but uh, but it was good to, you know, be on that side of it for a bit. I was a DJ for a little while before I moved to the city and you know, live sound, you know, all that, you know, so a pretty well-rounded view before I dove into the studio. Would you call yourself a freelance engineer? Yeah, I've technically been freelance since 96, 97. Uh, as a freelance engineer, do you have your own personal studio space? Uh, I do, I do. And um, But it's actually funny about when you mention like, you say freelance engineer because... In many ways, that sort of uh, is more minor than what it, you know, where it used to be the primary focus. But God, nobody asks me that anymore because, in a way, nobody cares about that side of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you saying that they're they're more focused on the? I I need you to help me get this done, and whatever your title so is, that, I don't but, really but, care. You no, know, basically, anybody that buys software is you know thinks they're an engineer, and right. so it's like, well, why would I pay somebody to do that? <laughs> You know, that's 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 what's happened, <laughs> you know, is that, you know, they get a microphone and then like, uh, you know, and it's funny because on my website, I have a frequently asked question section and it's geared completely towards those people, towards the ones that bought the software and are like, gee, why doesn't my why doesn't my recording sound like an album? I, I can't figure it out because I got tired of answering the questions personally. <laughs> I remember a guy calling me at one point to give him a a quote on a rate of, you know, what it would cost to do something. And he said, oh, well, I, I, you know, I would never pay that. I mean, you're only, you're only talking about Pro Tools. I mean, everybody's got Pro Tools. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, I'm not the guy for you. (laughs) You're talking to the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that, man. It's like, that's, that's been the new thing of just like uh, working on the filters to, let the ones through that you know have a clue or, you know, or, or like, you know, have a budget. 
want to use it or the ones that are just trying to find some info and disappearing. <laughs> I kind of tend to refer to those that we're trying to avoid that we're talking about as the, the yellow page crowd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They look up recording studio or recording yeah. engineer in the yellow pages and yeah, man, make a so phone call. I don't know how much you, that you get, but I, I get way more than I should. And I often wonder, like, is the art of research dead <laughs> you know like like when i was a kid i mean you know there weren't computers yet so if you wanted to find something out you'd go to the library or something and you know you'd find it out and now where everything's at a click it's like i'm stunned at like you know i'll get someone who will who's uh yeah i want to come in and record and they'll be, and i'll be like okay well uh you know what do you want to do blah, blah blah and like well where are you uh, i'm in chicago Okay. Um, you know, like, do, you, do you know where I am? Yeah, and it goes. It's like you know. Did you look at at anything that you know on the way before you you know contacted, or were you just you know like what do you, what's going on with everything, all the the technology at our hands, and and the billions of YouTube videos that yeah. will teach you everything from changing your air filter to sure. mastering. These people are somewhat lazy yeah in oh, their research yeah exactly i mean god if i had that those resources when i started forget about it <laughs> i'm stunned at the yellow page crowd and, and their uh lack of or their laziness in yeah, their research. It's, just, it's just like come on really it's like are you really just not trying at all i mean keep thinking i'm getting punked or something it's like all right who's gonna jump out of the bushes here in a second because it's <laughs> just <laughs> like really <laughs> So let's go back to your personal studio. Do you feel that that is a critical tool in your survival? Oh, absolutely. I'd be out of business. And anyone I know that doesn't have one is is either got a day job or, you know, now it's just a hobby. In a commercial studio, you build it out in, a, in such a way that you want to attract other engineers. Are you operating in that way as a no, commercial studio? No, not, not at all, actually. Um, it's really, it's my private space. I mean, this is actually my seventh studio incarnation that I've had. And I've gone from everything from, you know, you know, setting up an ADAT machine and a Mackie in a bedroom to building out a full-blown facility to now, you know, just having all my, you know, bringing my rig and all my gear home just because it didn't make sense to pay the overhead for, um, you know, a facility when at this point, you know, 85% of my work is me mixing or mastering on my own. You're doing that at home. Yeah, exactly. Now, maybe it's been going on for a while, but it is, it seems with at least the freelance engineer crowd, Yeah, that's becoming a, a very common thing. Oh yeah, no, I mean, every, like I said, everybody I know has has a setup and the only few I that don't are, you know, a couple of the old guys, like the generation before me that the, whole, the last holdouts, like, ah, you know, I can't mix with a mouse, those guys. But there's like two of those, two or three yeah. at max. Touching on the gear side, are you an in-the-box mixer, or do you prefer outboard summing or some combination thereof? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm kind of the hybrid, the outboard summing. I have, you know, Pro Tools HD, and I have uh, an a, you know API for summing, and you know, you know, tons of, you know, I still have all the tubes and transformer stuff. A lot, you know, a lot of outboard gear in my, you know, I still use a ton during my mixes. Now, in regards to gear buying, do you make it a point to? not go into debt for the gear or do are in a personal question here and yeah. i'm happy to omit this if sure. you want but are you are you in debt for gear at this moment uh, i am not actually i pay i pay cash for it all brilliant 
Yeah, you're, I, you're a shining beacon to us all. I learned a long time ago and went and had went <laughs> went to the dark side. So, because <laughs> I, I, re- I read a, your blurb there on your site about that, I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> when you make a decision to buy a piece of gear, what mm-hmm. is it driven by? What drives that purchase decision? Um, yeah, uh, need. I, I don't like. Here's here's a great example. Um, in one of my studio incarnations, actually last two that I've had. You know, I'll have someone call and go, yeah, I need to uh, I need to um, come in and put down a piano part. Do you have like a decent like digital piano? Yeah, yeah, of course I do. And in both cases, I did not. And then I just ordered it like that afternoon, you know, so it's like I, I, pre- I only I wait until until the need for the most part. OK, there's a few pieces where, um, you know, I know I need that. So and I have a couple things coming up like like, for instance, this uh, this year I bought um, a really nice pair of Josephson Omni mics and a Gordon mic pre to do a classical piano record, you know, knowing that I was, you know, the guy was going to it was going to be a at least a week or two week prolonged project. And, you know, it was a it was a chunk of change, but it was, uh, you know, I was I know. I'm already going to get it back or, or at least, you know, cover it. Brilliant approach and should be f- something we all should do. Yeah, well, I've, I've done it both ways. And this is the way that allows me to sleep at night. <laughs> so do you try to keep a, a, a cash reserve for that? Or do you just say, well, I'll go into debt temporarily until I get paid for the session? I don't necessarily have a stash for that. It's more about just when it comes up and then I'll just allocate my funds for that. It's like I'm pretty tight on the routine, so it's in a good in in the in a budget way. It's actually really simplifies things. Yeah. So I don't, you know, so there's not much random happening on my my end as far as that goes. I've discussed this in in previous conversations, and uh, and I think I've even talked about it on the first podcast that I did. I used to fall into the trap of if I just get this one thing, that's going to change things. And that I found that to be not true at all. And, if, and I find a lot of people also uh, have suffered from the same situation. Have you have you encountered that in your your past? Actually, I've, I've had it, I've had it both ways. Um, at one point I, I had like a Neve broadcast console. You know, I was getting, you know, calls from all over, you know, knowing, you know, because, you know, to most of us in audio, I mean, Neve is pretty much the benchmark and the Rolls Royce of, you know, if you ever if you ever need to, uh, you know, make some passion, you have a, a Neve piece, you know, that'll be, that'll go very quickly. <laughs> so, um, and the value of that is always great, you know? So, um, so yeah, I've had that side of it. And then at the same time, it's like, I haven't. So it's like, it's, it's always been, people always come to me more for what I do than what I have. I guess it's then you're saying it's rare that somebody would call you up and say, do you have, a, oh, you know, okay. cer- certain mic or mic pre? Um, you know, actually, the, there's only been one time that's that's happened, and it's actually a future blog post of mine with this with this woman. She was a she was a model, and she like had like worked at like Electric Lady and all this kind of stuff. And for I can't I don't remember for why she hired me to do some mixing for her, but she couldn't figure out why I didn't have like Pultex and like a Fairchild. You know, keep this is like the ADAP Mackie days, and it's like, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know what, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, eventually, I, uh, I, I fired myself from that gig because it was just, 
you know, they, this person was more obsessed with that sort of thing than what we were actually trying to accomplish. But that's, that's been the only time. And, you know, the way I equate that is that she actually didn't really know what she was talking about anyway, but it was just like kind of key words. You know, it's that kind of like that, that uh, side of people, you know, it's know a little bit too much to be dangerous. Yeah. So it was more like came, I think it came more from that side than somebody who was really concerned about, you know, what a poll tech was going to do on their voice. So the red flags go up immediately yeah, with that kind it's of like, thing. you know, I, I'm probably not the guy for you. I mean, because at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't matter at all. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I'm looking at your website and I'm seeing a lot of famous people here on this website. And I'm I'm just uh, on uh, at defirecordings.com for those listening. Um, and I'm seeing Lenny Kravitz, U2, Michael Jackson, uh, Lady Gaga, Aerosmith, David Bowie, uh, Cindy Lauper. Wow. Oh, and the Ting. I love the Ting Tings. Such a cool band. Anyways, lots of lots of famous people. I'm curious, how do you get your work? Do you have a manager? Uh, yes. I mean, well, it's both. I mean, I have a manager and, you know, I've been around long enough that I have a, you know, long, pretty, um, you know, word of mouth is still probably the most common. Um, the manager is cool. I mean, it's, you know, they're at yet the thing that people get confused about when they, when they're looking for workers, they're like, well, maybe I'll get a manager. And it's like, well, that's not how it works. The manager does not get you work. The work, the manager helps you manage the work that you have. Uh-huh. You know, that's a, that's a, that's something that always is like a big question mark with people. It's like, no, no, that's not how, you know, cause I mean, especially these days, you know, with the label system as we knew it sort of gone, I mean, at this point, more of my work is paid with an Amex card at the end of the project than with a PO number, you know, and a label. You're splitting the 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 financial duties with your manager as far as who's getting the money? It varies. I mean, it's like if it's if it's something that's just, you know, just me, you know, then then they don't get their cut just because technically, you know, they didn't do anything. So so, but it's definitely helpful for some of the bigger projects or when it does get busy enough that, you know, I, I don't have time to stay on the billing and that sort of thing. And especially, you know, if it's um, hiring other players when I'm producing or, you know, studios or something like that. Because as it is now, it's like my studio I work at most at home is, you know, mainly mixing and mastering. But when I do need to do any like large tracking dates and stuff like that, I'll always go to another facility for that. Yeah, I see your Facebook posts of you at some nice places, Avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, I in still, particular. Yeah, I still do. I do. For some reason this year, it's been like the year of the string dates. <laughs> so it's like any time I go to these studios, you know, and it's never, never anymore about like, oh, just recording a vocal. It's like, okay, well, we have 30 players and, you know, rhythm section and you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's always a big ordeal how do you determine your value and your rate does it change is it negotiable yes it i mean it has to be it has to be negotiable it has to be flexible because um we are deep enough now into the world where a lot of our the client base were never part of the professional side you know as far as like having a record deal or um you know like they don't know what it used to be so um, you know, so, you know, you can't tell them, oh yeah, I get like a grand a day. I mean, they're just going to like pass out you know? <laughs> so, like, so that, you know, that doesn't work. So a lot of times it's like, you know, I live, I mean, the easiest way to summarize it is the, uh, the more I like it and the cooler you are, the better the rate you'll get. 
<laughs> if I if I don't like the music and I don't like you, it's like I'm really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, I mean, it's, it's you know, in all reality, that's really what it is. I mean, I mean, you know, to illustrate, I had when I had um when I had my studio that I built out, I did this one record um with this artist from New Orleans who was she was one of these people where you know she would just sit at the piano and start singing and you would just stop because it was just like oh my god who is this you know i did her whole record i think for like three grand because it was like i need to do this record <laughs> you know i will do this record so so yeah so it's really you know sort of about love <laughs> yeah if you genuinely are loving the art that this this person is putting out, yeah. you, you will take a hit financially exactly. to do so. Exactly. I guess you could look at it as it's, your time is valuable, but if you're spending your time with something so beautiful, then it's it's worth it not to yeah to make the extra money. Oh, totally. Whereas yeah. if you're yeah completely as opposed to a difficult personality who is doing something you you barely can tolerate exactly yeah you know and i you know when i you know when i was naive and clueless you know i had this whole grand vision of like you know i really my goal with this is i only want to work on records i would have bought anyway mm. you know so there's always that sort of like underlying tone you know when i'm working on things and you know i mean i've been fortunate to have a lot of that you know i mean uh very fortunate because I mean, you know, a lot of guys when when I was coming up, um, when all of us were going freelance in the '90s here in New York, it was like if you didn't do hip hop, you pretty pretty much were not working. So um, so all the guys I came up with, they all did that stuff and they all did very well and bought their you know homes and cars and boats and all that kind of stuff. But at this point, most of them are you know long gone as far as as audio goes. But at the same time, as they were doing that. You know, they were, they, you know, they would have killed to like work with like, you know, The Who or, you know, Aerosmith or somebody like that instead of like just, you know, a turntable, a sampler and a microphone. With regards to mastering, I just uh, I always come up with this. I, I talked to Hillary about this. Uh, I just interviewed John Cunaberti about it, mm -hmm. um, uh, not about this specific thing, but yeah. it came up in conversation. I'm always fascinated by what I told what I discussed with John Cunaberti. Um, was the perception of the taboo of the recording mix engineer venturing into the mastering world because yeah. you know there is the I, I don't know how you feel about it but I Oh, I got a very strong opinion about that. <laughs> well, tell me your strong opinion because I I have been in the Bay Area. I've been surrounded by Paul Stubblebein, Michael Romanowski, Ken Lee, yep. John Greenham. Yep. And and those are all real good guys. Uh, and so I've all, I've always been a little gun shy, but now I'm starting to open up a bit and go, you know what? I know what they're doing, and I feel I can do that too. And I, and John Cunaberti felt the same way. That's exactly what that's exactly what my you know I totally agree. I mean, and um, my the reason why um, I started mastering originally was because. Um, these guys I used here in town, uh, old friends of mine, they eventually moved, um, you know, out of the city and, and, uh, so then I, you know, basically didn't have anywhere in town that I was going to be, that had, you know, had a relationship for mastering. So the clients I was working with would take my mixes to somebody and they would just obliterate them. I mean, absolutely destroy what I did. And, um, and after that, after like about six times of that, I'm like, you know what, I'll just do it because exactly what you said, it's like, 
I've been watching these guys. You know, I was fortunate to like, you know, work with from like Bob Ludwig and every, every major guy here. And um, so, of course, you know, you get you learn a couple things and it's like, well, all right, I'll just get a couple of pieces they have and I'll have a go at it. And um, at this point, it's been great. I mean, I had one year where I I produced no, I recorded mixed recorded and mixed uh, seven albums in a year. And out of the seven, I mastered six of them. And the only person who really wasn't happy with their final outcome was the guy that went to master somewhere else. And he mastered with a guy who I don't like and I've never liked. And, um, and you know, he, the artist gave up after, after two rounds of revisions. It was like, whatever, I got to move on. But ultimately, it wasn't happy. And it was like, that, you know, that can't happen. And, and you know, like, you hear that all the time, especially from the old school guys. Oh, you can't do that. It's like, well, you know what? You have to these days. You can't. It's a little too elitist to say, well, you know, I'm, you know, you should really go to mastering. Because by the time we're done on my end, as far as mixing goes, no one has any money left over for real mastering. You know, it's like there's that isn't even and most of them don't even know what it is. So it's like, so, you know, how, how are the how are you going to justify or, you know, argue with them. It's like, well, you really need to spend another grand or 1500 to master this. They're going to look at you as if you're insane. Yeah. And I, I look at it as kind of a, using the analogy of maybe the medical world. It's not like we're, you know, general, you know, family doctors that have decided to go into brain surgery. Yeah. Yeah. The way I like to use it is like, Hey, it's worked for Rudy Van Gelder. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we're moving into an era of, we as engineers are trying to maintain a certain level of quality. And I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you feel this way. I I, I can, I'll put money on it. That when I'm done with the mix, I really am scared at what's going to happen next because me and the artist are like, yeah, this is great. Mm -hmm. And my next thought is, Oh God, what is their plan for mastering? And are they going to go to the, you know, Oh, I got a buddy who's the brother of the cousin who who's got a you know a, a great deal, fifty bucks a song, and and then I start to get concerned. I don't, I don't, I don't do it. I mean, I, I, I that's why I started because it was like I, I'd rather, I'd actually rather master it for free rather than you go somewhere for fifty bucks a song because at least that way I know that the final outcome will be what me and the artist envisioned anyway. Instead of some kid throwing on a plug-in and just, you know, surfing the web while it's processing. I mean, I, I had a record, like a, a, a classical, like I guess you can call it a crossover classical record a couple of years ago. And it was oboes, an oboe trio, right? And um, it was a very similar thing. The, the producer had a friend at Sterling and, um, and they completely butchered this thing. I mean, it was like, and I heard round two. And it was still heavily distorted. And it was like, did you just put on like the, like the, you know, Katy Perry, you know, mastering setting on this and not listen? Because there's no way you could have listened to this and been like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Because, I mean, it was just it was completely melting. I mean, <laughs> it was like unbelievable. Yeah, so it's like, you know, so so for me, so when someone says, oh, you know, you can't master, it's like, screw you. I'm going to master it. and It's going to come out better. I guarantee it. So then the next question is, is if you're mixing and mastering, 
Mm-hmm. Do you have any strategies for, uh, I guess the, the, the word would be palate cleansing so that you, if you, if you've been mixing it for a while and you're super close to it, do you have a way to, do you do it on a different system? Do you wait a week? Do you, or do you just like dig in and, and go for it? Um, it varies. I mean, it's, it depends. It's more about the, the client's timetable than mine. You know, like often, oftentimes, especially if it's like a band, you know, sometimes it'll take a while to get all the feedback from people. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I have a, I actually don't need a palate cleanser. I'm not, I'm not okay. exactly sure why. I kind of have this sort of insane level of focus that um, I've had for a long time to the extent where I used to sit, well, you know, when I would work at studios and I have like a long tracking day, one of the things I would tell the assistant is I said, you know what, every once in a while, pull me aside and go, hey, dear, are you hungry? Because if you didn't, I actually wouldn't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, re- I really, really get into it. So it's, um, but at, so at the same time, it's like, yeah, I've never really, there hasn't been an issue. And, but also one thing that's changed a lot, I'm sure you find this with mixing, is that um, we all like, you know, do in general have some kind of, you know, compressor or limiter or EQ on our mix bus, you know, we all, all of us, you know, depending sometimes on the genre, mix a, a, a certain level as far as like how hot our mixes are. But what I've found is that I've, I need to do almost like a pre-mastering before I set off my mixes. Because if I don't, people at this point don't know like what's going on. And I, I've actually lost a couple jobs that way where I did a mix like sort of in my, you know, the traditional way, you know, thinking that like, okay, well then we'll master it and all that kind of thing. And the feedback from the client was like, it was more based on like a mastering thing. And it's like, well, wait, this isn't mastered yet. But, you know, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is that, you know, cause every time I do a mix or as I try to explain to people is that you're going to compare it to other things you're listening to, which are commercially released and mastered and all that sort of stuff. So if I don't do any kind of mastering, like a pre-mastering, before I send it to you, it's going to sound off. It's going to sound too far away from the other things you're comparing it to. So that said, I'll often use that pre-mastering, if, I'm, if it's an album I'm mastering later, as like a starting off point, and then I'll refine from there. I like that. Yeah. And I, I tend to do a very similar thing myself, just out of fear of them doing what you've just described well you know what i mean right it's like because it, if you're if your mix is like 10 db down from you know something that they're listening against to it's like obviously your mix is gonna suck to them even even if it's great it's like well where's the where's the presence where's the you know not feeling it yeah and for me i'm just now moving into this world of of taking on more mastering Mm-hmm. duties in even for stuff I've mixed and therefore I'm still kind of developing a, a workflow yeah. and most re- most recently what I ended up doing was just you know jacking up the level for everybody to hear mm-hmm. and then once everybody signed off I I just modified what that that limiting or that you know yeah what that that chain ended up being mm-hmm. and it the mix didn't really change too much just like the loudness maybe got a little more refined. Sure, sure, sure. I, I, I could say. 
back to the the reluctance or the the taboo questions of the mm -hmm. mastering thing did you ever go through a, a point where you're like ooh i don't know i'm a mix i'm mixing and i shouldn't be doing mastering or did you would you were you ever concerned about what people were going to say about that no or more your I mean, more your peers what no no actually not at all i mean it was i mean it really it really was about preserving um, what I do as a mixer, that's really where it came from because, because these things were coming out that were completely butchered. And I'm like, all right, if my name's on that, you know, they you know, people aren't going to know what, like what happened. Like, do you remember years ago when that big Metallica record came out that people complained about cause it was over compressed? Oh yeah. Like, you know, we're like, you know, they're blaming the mixer, they're blaming the mastering, you know? So it's like, so I felt like a, like a, baby version of that where it's like wait i don't i can't have this thing come out and it sound like a you know piece of shit i mean i mean what's that gonna you know, so it was really about like well let me let me retain what we slaved over instead of like just letting somebody do it who doesn't care at all and is, and is not even listening anyway what do you do in the case where that's out of your control i mean if uh, i guess the bigger the artist the more people are involved mm -hmm. and the more you know, the, maybe the manager of the artist says, oh, well, no, you know, my we have our mastering guy. Yeah, um, it's that's actually very rare. And at this point, I'm actually getting even more high profile stuff like the thing. Like I mastered the Ting Tings. I mixed it and mastered it, you know, and, you know, with an example like them, I mean, they're very, very DIY. Like they don't want anybody messing with their stuff. And okay. um, so. But, you know, once I got to know them and, and working with them for a while, you know, there like a bit of a trust, you know, started to develop a little bit. And I was like, well, you know, I do mastering as well. Let me just do let me just master like the first song and let you, let's let's just see how it feels. And they loved it. And I ended up doing the whole record. So, you know, I think it, at this point, it's like the investment, you know, the investment I make. I don't mind, you know, I don't know that comes across somehow that like, you know, I don't. I don't want to let this thing go without it being exactly right. You know, I don't, I don't want somebody to like just screw around with it for a couple hundred bucks and, and just, you know, for all the work, you know, you know, but at the same time though, it's again, it's like no one even thinks that they should even include money for you know budget for that. And now at the same time, uh, do you ever, is there an outside mastering engineer that, that you like that occasionally you will say, you know what? I want to send this one out. Uh, hasn't hasn't happened yet. Okay. There was there was one project I did um, a couple of years ago. I produced, recorded, mixed, and uh, the the artist it's somebody I'd known for a very long time, and and they they chose to use somebody uh, just you know because they're like ah I just want a, a different set of ears on it, and um, and so you know somebody I know a friend of mine and and it was cool and you know it really didn't sound any different. <laughs> <laughs> when I got it back, it was, you know, it's like, well, you know, but I explained to people too, is that like, you know, the, you know, just as in pop music, it's like, what pop music is, is such a narrow, like genre these days. I feel like the same thing is with mastering. It's like, you know, everybody's using the same tools and it's got to really fit in this like same window. Gotcha. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you don't hear a master that's like wildly different from really anything else. It, it kind of can't be because part of the part of the, the process to me these days is a competitiveness, you know, level of being competitive with everything else. So if it's not, then 
then it's wrong. You know, I mean, there was a good example of that a couple of years ago. This one artist I was working with, he had like a little, a small label here in New York. And one of his artists ended up befriending um, one of the old school mastering guys, a guy that used to work at Atlantic. His name is escaping me at the moment. But um, but the that mastering engineer loved it enough to like, you know, almost do it for nothing. But they did it in like a throwback style of like, you know, like right out of like 1976. And as fun as that was for them, for the label, it was a nightmare because anybody that heard it was like, what's wrong with this? Because <laughs> I, I have to, you know, like normally I listen on like five on my volume. But when this song comes on and when I'm in shuffle, I got to turn the stuff up to 10 to even match close. And then, I, you know, and it, so it was like a kind of a headache for the label. It was like a really it ended up being a really pain, real pain. It was just. Oh, man, <laughs> this is not what we need right now. Yeah, not, nothing so radical. Yeah, and not, not technically that was at the time. So, um, when it comes to okay, let's let's talk about a band like the Ting Tings. Um, do you financially deal directly with the Ting Tings? Uh, not in that case. No, that was since that was a bigger one. No, that was more of a manager thing. Okay, my manager will talk to your manager. Yeah, exactly. And we'll... Yeah, and let them hammer it out because you know it gets it gets silly sometimes, and I'd rather just you know concentrate on what I have to concentrate on than than that kind of thing. Well, and there are quite a number of freelance engineers that uh, that's the case. They would rather not deal with the money element yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One and one one thing that's been um, becoming more of a sore point is the whole credits thing. Because credits mm. aren't seen anywhere, you know, it's like, you know, like if anybody wants to find out who did what on a record, they're going to have to really do the research. And, you know, it's going to take a minute. It's not going to be like, oh, yeah, like I really missed that site, uh, albumcredits.com that they had a couple of years ago that went out. But that was that was a great step but i guess they weren't making any money on it so do you remember do you remember that site at all uh yeah i do but i guess it, it's not i think it was so under my radar that. now what's that it's so under my radar now that i'm I, I didn't realize it was uh it was gone yeah it's been gone for probably almost three years okay and uh was that, that an extension of allmusic.com it was yeah and it was between them and i think the guys at sterling um started it like a it was like kind of like a alliance between them. And you had to pay, right? Yeah, but it was like, you know, 10 bucks a year or something like that. It wasn't anything extensive. Right. But it was not a nice, you know, link that you could just pass to somebody and they could see everything. Because right now it's like, you know, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's pretty haphazard. I, oh, I, I don't like that. Because, like, you know, if it looks like I've been doing nothing, if you go to allmusic.com and I'm like, wait a minute, exactly. this isn't representative of what I do. Exactly. Yep. And, and, and you can't it's like trying to get them to change something would be it would be easier for you to like build your own fighter jet and sell it to the pentagon <laughs> than to call, contact all music and have them update a set or a listing for you easily you could build a plane faster and, but, i think that's my favorite quote of our interview this thus far yeah that's 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 how hard it is to get to those guys so how, how do you personally combat that I mean not directly with all music but I mean how do you make sure that you are credited for what you do um, and that it's seen you try your best I mean it's not it's not um it's not simple I mean you know it's like yeah it's a 
you have to have a, a very uh, specific conversation about it. I've found, and you know, if there's if it's a something I'm producing, or you know, we have a contract or something, it's all that's spelled out in that very clearly in its own section. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's how it's going to go. This has to be done. Okay, that brings up a good point. So. Do you do you need a contract or do you feel a contract is necessary in in all such in in most of the situations or is it just like when you're dealing with a bigger band versus a smaller band? That is a good question. It really depends. Um generally I don't do a contract unless it's someone I know that is that has some kind of backing behind them or I know they're really going to push it. You know, if it's like if it's what I would call a coffee table record, um, I don't I don't do a contract. And what I define as a coffee table record is you do your record, you love the process, you finish it, you get the obligatory a thousand copies, and then those boxes sit in your home as um temporary like um furnishings until you slowly give away all those CDs to your friends and family, like ten times over. Got it. <laughs> You know, those, you know, where they don't promote it, they're not going to tour, that sort of thing. There's no point in doing a, a contract. It's just a waste of money. And that's and that's quite a common thing, the 1,000 oh, CD yeah. run. Absolutely. Band breaks up, and that, you know, at some point along the way. Um, so then let's talk about the contract thing. Uh, to me, that's always been an elusive thing. And what I mean by that is, is I think contract, I think attorney, I think... Yep two to $300 an hour. And I think, is it worth it for me to get a contract? And are they going to get a contract? Are they going to get an attorney? And, it, and yeah. it, I end up chasing my tail and end up blowing it off. So tell me your, your technique or your thought process on that. And what's your advice to other engineers like myself who yeah. are facing that quandary? Um, no, I mean, that's all the exact points, you know, I mean, it, technically it's an investment, you know, and it's not a cheap one. So like, Hmm, I'm going to spend a couple grand before I even get started. It's like, uh, you know, you really have to weigh that. Like the last one I did is, um, uh, with a company in China, I started producing, uh, producing, um, songs for this media company in China. And for something like, you know, that it's like, you know, there's actually like a real budget and, um, you know, it's for that. Yes, I'm absolutely going to do a contract because, you know, different country, different set of rules. All this stuff has to be as spelled out as possible. And even in that case, it's like, you know, there's still things we miss, you know, as, as the project has been progressing. It's just like, ah, oh, didn't expect that part, you know. So, um, so yeah, if it's a, if it, I guess I base it on the, I, on the budget and the sort of the status of the band, you know, if it's a, if it's again, if it's somebody that I know that's going to go out on the road for two years touring and this record's going to be everywhere, I'm going to do a contract. But if it's something that's, you know, going to be a little more local or just, you know, again, just more for fun, you know, not a contract at all. No, no reason to. And what kind of items are important in that contract? Uh, what you uh, what you, I explain what my role is, what I will be delivering to them. Uh, some kind of rough timetable, if possible, um, you know, and the credits is a big part of it as well. Um, you know, payment schedule, you know, you just like sort of itemize the project, I guess, in, in paper form. It's important because once you get into the project, things 
can get funny or some things can get emotional and and you want you don't want emotion to be any kind of part of your negotiations you just want that to be as straight ahead and as businesslike as you possibly can because hmm. once you get in you know once you get in a, in a project you know you know things just evolve so it's like you just want to have you just want to be covered so that you know you won't resent it later if something you did something on the project then you feel like you're not being uh compensated for or accredited properly so you can cover that stuff as much as possible on the front end you're better for it and is that contract typically in legalese or is it very straight ahead language most of the time legalese i mean you know i've I've done the one sheet thing a couple times just like you know hey you know this is what's going to happen you me money blah 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 but uh, but most of the time it's more in more of a legalese. I mean, I'll start with like an existing one, maybe it's like a template to save a little bit of money. You know, that's actually worked pretty well most of the time. Um, you know, instead of like starting one from scratch with a whole new team and stuff like that. So you have an attorney you go to and you you call that attorney up and say, hey. I have someone I've used, but I, it's been a while actually, because like, to be honest, most of the times I can just tweak some of the previous ones enough to make it work. It's all the, it's all the same anyway, you know, just really the names change and the names and the dates change really. I guess there, there's a certain uh, trepidation that I would have in that futzing with the legalese and a document like that to me is akin to messing with code that I don't a hundred percent understand. If it's all been done right the first time and you really are going in and just changing like, you know, the names and the dates and the, you know, um, budget and stuff like that. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty smooth so far. You know, it's, I mean, I mean, give it as like a mixed template, you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to start with that. And, you know, obviously there's going to be a couple of things I change, but you know, for the most part, you know, it's, it's actually very similar to that. Now transitioning over to the conversation of your workload, it seems that that's becoming the most common question I ask these days. You know, if you had to assign a percentage, a rough percentage, you know, as far as production versus mixing versus mastering versus just being the the basic recording engineer, what what seems to eat up the the most most of your time these days? Let's say mixing would probably be seventy percent easy. Okay, and then mastering. Uh, and then recording, and then producing. Uh, I'm always curious about what other engineers. Are how they're doing their their payment as far as do you charge by the song? Do you charge by the time you spend? Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, do by the I do by the song because um, I spend you know it's probably not the best business business decision, but I I like to dink and I like to I I don't I I don't whip through a mix in the sense of like oh yeah that's fine let's just move on like I really again because it's like your name's on it and. I really go for sort of stunning the artist, you know, where they're just like, oh, my God, like, what did you do? <laughs> we always want to hear that. Yeah. And, and I've been really successful with that. And I, it's it's what I do. So it's like I want that to, you know, it's like like I was always into tools and stuff as a kid. You know, my dad was a mechanic. And so I always kind of always had an appreciation of that sort of thing. And I look at this as very similar thing, you know, when he was you know, be working on something, it's like, and it would come out amazing. It's like, well, I'm going to do the same thing with my set of tools here. And it's, it, you know, it, I think it, I think it's good for your reputation and, you know, cause 
But I had this one guy, I'll never forget this. I was meeting with this guy and he plays me his reel. And the first thing on his reel was a song and the vocals weren't in tune. And he's like, yeah, the, um, the artist didn't want to pay like an extra 200 bucks for the tuning. And it's like, okay, that makes sense. But why the hell is it the first thing on your reel? <laughs> you know, it was like, um, am I the only one seeing this? Like, like, why would you do that? You know, like, why would you have something on there that you need to apologize for as the first thing? And I'm curious about that. Uh, I mean, we'll, charging an extra two hundred dollars to tune is that? Yeah, is that something? Is is that common? In some world, I mean, I don't, I don't do too much like hip hop or R and B these days. But I guess in that world, maybe it is. But I was just huh. again, you know, coming from the craft craftsmanship side, I was like, wow, that just seems like really like I could never do that. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I guess from um, when I when I mix, I I too charge by the song, you know, unless it's an egregious track, uh, you know, if there's a couple little th parts that I think, oh, uh, maybe I'll tune that up, yeah. you know, just to to bring it up to snuff to tighten things up a bit. But mm -hmm. to I, I guess the what's foreign to me is the idea of not only this guy putting it first on his reel and uh, being, apologizing about it, but also the fact that it's like, oh yeah, the artist didn't want to pay the 200 bucks, yeah. but yeah, check it out. It's like, well, really? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's like, well, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> but again, it's like, I would never do that. It's like, yeah, I was just baffled by that. But yeah, no, for me, it's like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be dead. And I have this thing where, you know, I want to, you, I want to have a moment. There's got to be a moment in the song where I get the little goosebumps thing, you know, no matter how long I've been listening to it, there's got to be at least one part in the song that kind of gets me. Yeah. And if I don't have that, then I feel like I haven't, I haven't nailed the song. And I've gone as far as like even changing the arrangement and adding things. If I don't have that, you know, almost like putting on the producer cap for a second. Right. And it's made a huge difference. You know, when, those people hear it. It's just like, oh my god! Like, <laughs> but that, but that's what I want. I want them to be, you know, I want to go for the shock and awe. I don't want to. I don't want them to hear it and be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, thanks. You know, because what's the point? What's the point of that? Well, there's, there's so many people who do this. So let's talk about uh, the after the shock and awe effect. Once once they get that, uh, let's say they they love it, but then. They want some revisions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's always, it seems there's always a couple little things. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the list is a little longer <laughs> than others. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had people go, oh, that's great. Can you just maybe, uh, uh, you know, dip the vocal down a half dB or yeah. whatever? And then I get others that are like, oh, we love it. Yep. Here's an email with 20 <laughs> bullet points of like, some not not all direction based, but some like questions like, yep. do you think the bass is loud enough? It's like, no, I I purposely kept it down to fool you. And yeah, uh, that's that's a that's a really good point. Um, in other words, how many revisions will you allow and, and what's your tolerance for that? Well, luckily, because I spend so much time on it, I typically don't get much as far as uh, revisions. 
Um, okay. But, you know, as in anything, there are exceptions. And um, and it's been an interesting time with that because, because everything's basically done on a computer, people just accept the fact that, you know, it's not like the old days where a recall was like, all right, give me like six hours and then come back. It's like, you know, you can pretty much do, you know, open your session and do a couple tweaks in your outboard gear and you're back. And with that in mind, it's like I've had to start charging for revisions because some people just go a little too crazy. And, um, uh, you know, and like, you know, like a, a guitar, op, you know, the ones I love is that like, OK, say like a typical power pop thing like drums, bass, guitar, keyboards and vocals. The ones that are just silly to me are where it's like, OK, well, yeah, we love the mix. Can you bring the guitars up a little bit? The keyboard's up a little bit, and the bass up a little bit. Uh, okay. And then you'll do that, and then the next thing will be like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Can, can you bring the guitars down a little bit? Um, the drum, you know, the keyboard's down, you know, just reversing, you know, you're just going back and forth all over the time. So it's like that's that that gets me nuts, and that's when I'll start to charge them because um, it just gets a little – little silly i mean typically it's like two two revisions or so three maybe um what i don't do like the old days i don't do the vocal up vocal down i don't believe that um it's like get it right the first time and and you're fine um i i don't like options with all that stuff goes and i and i don't like i don't like uh giving people stems in the sense of uh because that's just like well then you just didn't finish the mix it's like <laughs> you know what i mean it's like what's what's the point of that and and when and anytime I've done stems or you know given them out or had to work from them, you know I'm mixing anyway. It's like there's no I don't understand that. Interesting and and uh, as far as the charging is concerned, I, that's I like I like that when when it gets excessive. Um, mm -hmm. The let's talk about mastering really quick. Do you have a similar approach to mastering in terms of you know revisions and do you charge by the song or do you charge by the time? Uh, I do by the song and, uh, the more, and if the more, like if it's an album length, um, you know, I can do, I'll do a little better on the, on the per song rate. Um, uh -huh. you don't get as many revisions back for mastering. The only times I'll get something is if somebody's like, well, I want a little louder, a little louder, a little louder. That's <laughs> really it. I mean, other than that, you know, cause I, what I, I do is I'll, I A, B with a lot of things before I send the master to somebody like, you know, especially, you know, I'll go on iTunes and A, B what I have with what they're going to be comparing it to, to make sure it's as loud, it's as bright, the low end is the same. You know, I, I try and just, you know, I'm just doing what they're going to do anyway, which ends up sort of um, speeding up the process pretty nicely. Kind of beat them to the punch, but yeah, you, exactly. and you can so they can't come back to me and go, oh well, so and so's brighter than this. It's like, well, it's actually exactly the same. And you know, and you're gonna, you know, you don't want to, um, like a good example is I just uh, mastered an old like recording, a, a jazz recording from the '80s, and um, you know, it had all the like weird stuff, you know, from the tape artifacts and stuff like that that you would think as far as a little bit of wow and flutter and stuff like that and um and when i was doing my ab on itunes to some jazz stuff it was like i could i could get it as loud and as bright but it, it started to destroy the source material so i was like so i you know 
took that as a reference and you know all right well i'm just going to do what what is needed for this song because i know i can't go that way without it starting to you're going to start to see the cracks and stuff if i do that you know but it's it's important though to to um at least compare it to something just so you know this is more of a gauge than anything and as of your mixing sessions and your mastering sessions are they generally unattended or attended uh all unattended Okay. My mixes actually anytime anyone attends the mix suff- the mixes suffer every time. Yeah. And the reason for that, which I try to explain to people, is that um is that you know you're gonna you're coming um to a system you don't know in a room you don't know. And it's just, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna hear it different. And um I've actually had chats about with this with other mastering engineers as well. In that, you know, even with them with their you know, big Dunleavy's or whatever, you know, the big crazy speaker system. It's like they, they're slowly um, doing a similar thing. What's like, you're, you're going to come in and, you know, you have no reference point. And I said, the way, so the way it'll, it works better, I've found for everyone, it's like, well, I'll send it to you and then you can live with it as long as you want and listen to it in the environments that you know intimately. You know, you can listen in your car, you're going to listen in your, you know, your phone or whatever, but, you know, you're going to, you know, there's not going to be this pressure of like, God, is this right? Is this right? Because I only have a limited amount of time here. It's like, listen at your leisure, take your time and just let me know. And if you want me to do any tweaks, it's not a problem. It just, it just seems like more of a win-win than, um, than anything. So now in this day and age that we're in, it seems that um, this is becoming commonplace for the freelancers to, do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it. I know John Cunaberti's doing it. Where basically, you know, if you need to track a band, you go to a studio. Yeah. But you're mixing and you're mastering out of your your mm-hmm. your own private studio, yep. whether it's at your house or not. And so then there's the potential competition out there. Uh, Universal and Abbey Road are doing online mastering services. Uh, I think Abbey Road is also doing online mixing yep. services. So. From the from the artist standpoint, when they see those options in front of them, how do we how do we how do you differentiate yourself from from other engineers? Like what what makes Robert Smith, you know, the 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 guy to go to? That's a great question. I wish I, I wish I knew the complete answer to that because the problem is, and actually, what's interesting, um, like my website that's current right now is only like uh, it's been up for almost three weeks, and the website is sort of a reaction to this question in that it it's you know like like when you said you know about the front page the front page is very very is done specifically that way so that anybody that's going to look at it is going to be like okay obviously this guy must know what he's doing because you can't work with all those people without a clue so so maybe Maybe he's not the one for me if I, you know, only have $300 to mix my whole album. But if I want somebody that, that, can, that knows that quality and knows how to get it, then this is my guy. So it's as much as like a filter as it is. It's actually probably more than a filter and as like an advertisement for my services. That said... Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. So that, that said, the big problem is that then you have all these other sites where you have these guys like all over the world that, you know, the sites look great and stuff. And they're like, I'll mix your song for a hundred dollars. 
And it's like, you know, and, it, and they have all these package deals, you know, it's like, you know, almost like a Walmart kind of vibe. It's like, oh, come in and we'll do all this and blah, blah, blah. And we'll market it for you and we'll do duplication and all this. And it's like, that's great. But unfortunately, it just it, it's really devalued the thing. And the biggest I have is that there are those people that like, well, I have 12 songs. Um, could you mix it for like five hundred dollars? And it's like, you know. That's that's a really hard question <laughs> because, you know, you don't want to do it based on principle, you know, and then, you know, I live in midtown Manhattan. So I got, you know, I have to, you know, cover a certain nut here. So it's like and I, you know, the, the my biggest problem when I do this is that I don't change my method for the rate. So if you're, you know, if I'm making, you know, a certain amount per day. You know, if I'm like, you know, whatever, making a grand a day, I'm going to work at the same level of quality that I'm going to work on something that's far less than that. So hmm. that said, I'm going to invest the same either way, you know, and an average mix is like two, like at least a day and a half. So it's like, hmm, how do I, you know, do this? If if it's something that I really like, um, I'll have a conversation with the artist and being like, OK, well, I'd like to do this, but. Let's see what we can if we can meet somewhere in the middle on the rate and and you know though if you have like a deadline then I won't probably won't be able to make it. but if you're flexible with your schedule and you're just like yeah whenever you can do it maybe we can work something out and if I have downtime I can fit it in but if I'm having like you know full rate work coming in I really can't justify doing it yeah you know? <clears throat> that makes total sense so like I have one guy who's like wants to work with like two two things actually. They're like, I don't care, you can take a year to do it. We just really, really want you to do it because we know you're the guy to do it. And it's like awesome. Then we'll figure something out. But um yeah, but you know, it, everybody has to be flexible these days and everybody has to do a lot of wear a lot of hats. Like I I, I feel for the guys that are just mastering houses because it's like, how are you doing? You know, are you guys all right? How are you doing? Because it's like because I know so many people that wouldn't even go to mastering. So like if I just, if I just did one thing, I'd be out of business. You know, I've done everything from, you know, through the production, you know, engineering, you know, restoration, you know, everything from, you know, full orchestras to audio books here, you know? So it's like, you know, you really have to be, I find offer a wide range of services Instead, you know, you, no one can just say, well, all, all I do is mix. Well, then you must, you must, your house must be paid off and you have no expenses. <laughs> exactly. That, I don't know how you're, you know, how you're going to do it. What is working for you these days in terms of an overall approach to the business of, of audio that you're happy with? It could be a philosophy of work. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, uh, business related, but, uh, is anything in your workflow that, that you're just dialed in now with, with a certain approach, or have you just been doing it so long that nothing, nothing new has crept up? Yeah. And I mean, it hasn't been, it hasn't been, um, not, nothing like recent. I mean, if anything, um, I'm glad that I've sort of had like this sort of customer service approach to like the whole time, because really, in the last like five years has really been um, important because, um, because, you know, like I, like I say, I get a lot of work 
from a lot of trolls, a lot of those like old mensch guys that like, ah, you know, all this stuff is crap and, and they got like really bad attitudes. Like, you know, they're not, they're not happy with what this industry has become. I get so many compliments of like, God, you're so like great, like nice to work with. It's not like, I'm not afraid of you, (laughs) you know, like a customer service kind of thing. It's like, so I like that. And I like that uh, people come to me as a sort of resource on a lot of different levels, whether it's from mixing or like approaching, you know, a technique to gear choices, to studio choices. You know, I have a lot of people come to me from all over for a lot of different things. And I like that side of it. And I think that's been, um, you know, the online thing has helped that way as well. Um, anyway, anybody can reach out to you from anywhere, really, at this point. I think that's important. The whole customer service thing, I always, um, the, those that listen to the show know that I, I love to think of analogies and the restaurant world and the medical world. Sometimes I think of myself as a waiter, really. And I've got a table of people and I'm trying to take care of that table the best I can. Yeah. Or I'm the chef and I'm trying to cook the best possible meal. Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause that's what they're going to remember. You know, like, like the thing that doesn't work for me is the whole elitist thing of like, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Cause it's like, you know, I mean, you know, as nice as that concept is, Unfortunately, you know, this is a service industry. So what we do is pretty much not much more different than like, you know, dry cleaning your clothes. You're going to keep going back if you get the, you know, if you're treated properly and they do the job right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you got, you know, you got to be that. You, you can't be you can't be this loser that's just, you know, always pissed off and complaining about stuff. It's like no one wants to be around that. It's like, why would I why would I want to pay to be around that? It's like, no, no. Not at all. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, what what is your general um, advice to other engineers of of all experience levels? And I think you 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 kind of laid it out like right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing, you know, w- one of the things that uh, that I learned from Neil Dorsman a long time ago was that what wherever you whatever you're working with, just make the do the best you can with what you have. Like, don't sit there complaining. It's like, oh. God, I wish I had like an 1176. Screw that. Just just work with what you have and make it make it happen. You know, because and you can easy, it's it's very easy to do. It's just it's a mindset. But um but yeah, that whole thing of like, oh, well no, well I have to have this in order to get this done. It's like, no you don't. Just just shut up and do the job. <laughs> get to work. Yeah, cuz I I cuz I I assisted all those idiots, you know, and it's just like I've seen I've seen how sessions of you know, probably the best thing about my career was, you know, when I was an assistant, I've seen the best and I've seen the worst of sessions. And I've really sort of culled my approach from all those and make me to make it, you know, to make it work. You know, in, in a way, I feel bad for the for the kids coming up that'll never have that opportunity because it's like that's how you really learn this stuff. Oh, in terms of just like the, the that mentorship or yeah, the, the word yeah. and, and, coming up. And one and one one really um big problem I see these days, especially with all the like the recording schools and stuff, is these kid these kids come out of these schools and they know every Pro Tools keystroke, but they have no idea how to treat the client and how to make everybody in the room feel comfortable. And that's a really bad thing to me. <laughs> 
Yeah, it is a bad thing. It's, it's never about the gear. You know what I mean? You've had a career yep. uh, for quite some time now, 25 plus years. If you if those those who are listening to this and, and going to Robert's website, if you go to the about page, mm-hmm. you know, it says, you know, you're an Oscar winning Grammy and Emmy nominated producer, engineer, mixer based in New York. And when I read that, I think, wow, this guy's had a career. Yeah. And how could he repeat that career today? Wow. That's the million dollar question. Um, because the, you know, the, the industry isn't there that, uh, that was there. Um, but what, what I, what I tell people in general is that, um, uh, the best thing you can do is find a mentor and learn everything you can from them with the idea you you know this stuff so well that that mentor that finds it difficult to work without you because you actually do the job better than them and it's like if you can do that and make yourself indispensable to somebody it's like you'll never have to work look for a job ever i mean i know plenty of people that have done that you know and it's like it's you know cuz and the thing the mistake people make is that this is not a career it's a life uh-huh there's you know forget vacations forget like you know all the like typical stuff of it's like because i mean that's for me it's like well when did you start it's like well i that that's the thing there there never is a start it's just, it's just who you are you know what i mean i do you know there there was no like oh yes i started on you know September 6th on this date and you know no no I mean sure I remember when my first official session happened but I was in it way before that you know always playing around with microphones and you know like you know like in any, anything everyone anyone has something that was sort of like makes them or like you know it's, it's just who they are and that that's what you know that's who I've been so huh. there never was a starting point there never was a was a like oh well maybe I'll do this like I have a younger cousin who is so mad at me because he's just, he's, he never had that. And he's just like, oh, God, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, sorry, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, man, this, this has been great. I really uh, appreciate your, you're taking the time to do this because man, you've got some, you've got some good information that others, uh, I'm excited for them to hear this. Yeah. It's not, not the typical thing, but you know, which is, which is too bad because it's like this is this is actually what it really is. You know, it's not it's not the bling, it's not the limos, it's not the the awards. It's this. <laughs> yeah, it's hard work. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, yeah, I mean, I didn't sleep for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't. I really didn't sleep for ten years, and it was like, I don't, you know, I just don't, you know. But it's but it was I wouldn't trade it for anything because. Because you see on my site, that's that's what that gets you. All right. Well, you take care, and I'll see you on Facebook, of course. All right. And uh, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. It's pl- total pleasure. Anytime. Bye. Thanks. See you. And there you have it, Robert Smith, talking to us from New York. Apologize for the uh, less than stellar uh, Skype connection, but, you know, sometimes that's what happens. So uh, make sure and go on over to the uh, Working Class Audio website and subscribe. Make sure you stay abreast of uh, what's going on over here. And of course, pay our friends over at Gear Sluts a visit. And uh, oh, also make sure going over to the Facebook page or the Twitter site, you know, 
It's the same request. It's always do the social media thing. But this time, I need you to go over to Gear Sluts too and check that out. Because, uh, yeah, because they're helping us out. And we really appreciate it. That's it. Uh, see you in two weeks. And uh, as we head into December. Yes, December. Okay. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.